What's up, fellow critical thinkers? It's Greg. Uh, obviously, I know you haven't heard a lot from Critical Thoughts in a while. We've been really busy, but I'm going to keep working hard, and I'm going to try and get more episodes to you guys. Frankly, I should be working out right now, but I uh, smashed my rib into one of the parallettes, so if you don't hear from me in a while, I probably died of internal bleeding. So I was going to think of episode ideas, but luckily a couple days ago, the headlines just handed me the easiest episode idea possible. And since I don't want to be creative right now, uh, I'm just going to talk about Israel and Palestine and some of the history behind that, whose side I'm on, spoiler alert, it's nobody's, and what we can do to resolve such a horrific humanitarian and diplomatic issue. Now, obviously, the cultural and religious conflict between the Arab people and the Jewish people goes way back, thousands of years. But the first uh, rumblings of a modern conflict arguably started with the 1897 Zionist Congress and also the 1917 Balfour uh, Declaration, which basically stated the intentions of the Jewish people to create a homeland, a, uh, a sovereign state in Palestine, which at the time was majority Arab. So obviously the Arab people in the region didn't take too kindly to such a motion. Now the United States supported this 1917 Balfour decision, but it vowed to stay relatively neutral in these affairs given that Britain held the colonial mandate to Palestine, not America, and obviously given the volatility of the region, it was probably wise for America to not go and stick its head in. Of course, that being said, Britain does what Britain does, and in 1947, it announced its intention to terminate its mandate government in the Middle East, which it, of course, inherited from the partitioning of the Ottoman Empire after World War I. And I'd say that the events that transpired as a result of this colonial withdrawal represented the second biggest colonial fuck-up in British history, only second to creating a nation that literally lost a war to a bunch of emus. Yes, Australia is a very strange place. You know, there's so many dangerous animals in Australia. You'd think that if the government were to lose a war to an animal species, it would be to, like, the inland taipan, or maybe a bunch of box jellyfish. But no, um, they lost a war to a bunch of dumb, flightless birds. Of course, that's besides the point. Um, the UN voted... 33 to 13 with 10 abstentions to partition the British mandate of Palestine into two states, one Arab and one Israeli. Now, the Jewish uh, delegation completely accepted these terms, but the Arab delegation was enraged and completely rejected the terms, basically stating that, you know, we had occupied this region for so long, why would we simply just give it back to the Jewish people? Now, I'm not saying that the Arab objections were valid or not, but the fact that the UN did absolutely nothing to address them basically tells you a lot about the negotiating power of the UN back then. You know, I guess you could say international peacekeeping agencies are kind of like people. The UN was just a baby back then, really didn't know what it was doing. This was its first major task, uh, equivalent to a baby trying to walk for the first time, and it simply fell on its face. 
And as a result of this amazing peacekeeping work by the UN, um, the Arabs launched a war of annihilation against the Israelis. And that marked the beginning of the 1947 Palestine War, which was the first war of many in this Arab-Israel conflict that still rages on today. Now, of course, the British were kind of wetting their pants at this moment and really didn't do anything definitive to end the violence and uh, create uh, stability in the region. You know, they just occasionally poked their toes into the pool when they felt like it, but then never really jumped in. You know, eventually after Israel and Palestine went through the niceties that new neighbors usually go through, such as terrorism and targeting civilians, uh, Israel ended up winning the war. Or, of course, Israel thought they had won the war until the other nosy neighbor, Egypt, decided to come marching in. And then they, too, promptly got their ass beat by Israel. Israel then signed separate armistices with uh, Egypt and Lebanon, and we all lived happily ever after. Except I'm just kidding, because in the three years following the war, 700,000 Jews immigrated to Israel from Europe and Arab lands, which also uh, caused a mass exodus of Arab people off of this land, as they were basically evicted, as Britain basically gave all the land deeds to the Jewish people. Of course, neither side was satisfied by this conclusion to the conflict, and as all angry neighbors do, they simply continued fighting, whether formally or informally, right? You had cross-border incursions and attacks throughout the 1950s, and it's been more of the same ever since. But there are a couple of events that we should be going over. In 1964, the Palestine Liberation Organization was created by Yasser Arafat, and it immediately won the support of most of the Arab League governments and was thus granted a seat in the Arab League. And almost directly as a result of this new nationalist organization controlling Palestine, we had the 1967 Six-Day War, which was a huge military incursion into Israel by a bunch of Arab states which failed to establish control on any ground. You know, the Arab states just kind of got their ass beat on that front. The important consequence of this war is that Israel gained military control of the West Bank from Jordan and the Gaza Strip from Egypt. And of course, with any newly acquired territory, uh, the Gaza Strip and the West Bank have become uh, territories of, let's just say, uh, contentious debate over the years, if not open violence. Now, let's jump to the present day. Instead of the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, we have the Palestinian Authority. And in 2011, this Palestinian Authority uh, sought to gain membership in the UN, but failed. Um, and now, in Gaza, there is a certain terrorist organization known as Hamas, who basically runs the place and uses all of the resources to launch attacks and incursions into Israel, yet still deems themselves to be freedom fighters, but in reality, they're just a bunch of anti-Semite terrorists. Of course, Israel is not totally out of the woods in terms of blame either, you know, um, just citing 
in 2008 Operation Cast Lead, which resulted in thousands of civilian casualties, right? It's easy to see why each side is angry at the other, right? There is no debating that. You don't end up having a 70-year-long conflict without sufficient grievances on either side. And that's why I find it extremely unproductive when people on either side start to argue about history, you know, which side uh, committed the most terrible atrocities against the civilians of the other, right? That's not going to solve the issue that we have at hand, which is the violence that is hurting such civilians, right? As long as the violence is going on, civilians are going to be hurt. That is the nature of the conflict. And what's unique about this conflict is what it seems like is that there are actually two antagonists. There is no right or wrong. There is only violence and death and destruction. Yes, that got morbid quick, but that's reality. And it's reality that people are going to have to acknowledge, right? There is no taking sides on this issue. There is only solving the problem and not solving the problem. And it seems like what most of people that are debating this topic are doing these days are demonizing one side and refusing to acknowledge the other. Of course, there have been peace talks in the past, most notably the Oslo Accords in 1993 and the Camp David Summit in 2000. But the leaders that signed these accords are no more, and the conflict is still raging on. So we need more. And I think to fully solve this issue, we're going to need a two-state solution. Both sides are going to have to compromise, and both sides are going to have to give things up. And you might be thinking, well, Greg, that seems extremely counterintuitive. That's exactly how we got ourselves into this mess in the first place. And frankly, you'd be right. And I think that the failure of previous attempts, specifically the attempt in the 1940s, I think that those attempts failed because, one, we did not acknowledge the grievances that the Arabs had towards Israel, right? Valid or not, this peace is not going to work unless both sides are relatively happy. And second of all, we did not acknowledge the presence of bad actors on either side, people that might not be negotiating in good faith and might not have the best interests of their citizens and the citizens of the other side in mind when negotiating. And in this case, uh, those bad actors are Hamas, obviously just a total terrorist organization, you know, not guys that you want to be hanging out with. And then also there are plenty of bad actors on the Israeli side who use their diplomatic support that they have from America and other Western nations to sort of uh, sweep their bad actions underneath the rug. And that's not okay either. You know, in conclusion, the first step that we need to go through in order to solve this conflict is actually get both sides back to the negotiating table. Right now, we've kind of devolved into senseless violence, and neither side really knows what they want anymore. So let's get a specific list of demands down. Let's start negotiating in good faith. Let's remove these bad actors from the equation and finally solve this issue. President Biden, this is on you. This might be the defining foreign policy issue of your presidency, and it's on you to help the international community find a solution, right? 
Netanyahu's not going to do this by himself unless you pressure him. Netanyahu's used to getting away with whatever he wants because America just simply continues to send money and arms to Israel, right? Hamas is definitely not going to negotiate on their own. All Hamas wants is the annihilation of the Jewish state. So we have to play third party in order to solve this issue. It's very simple. Now, if there's one thing that I want you to take away from this episode, it's something that I touched on earlier. But when you're engaging in discourse about this topic, right, think about if what you're saying is really productive to solving the present issue of violence in the region, right? And if it is productive, if you've determined that, then great, keep talking. And if it's not, also keep talking. Just make sure that you're facing a wall and there are no people within 10 feet of you. And then you're good. Uh, This has been Critical Thoughts. I'll be getting back to you guys sometime soon. This has been Greg. See you.